All right. Episode one. So here we go. Yeah. So I'm Peyton Smith. Uh, I am a junior at a college and I'm a communications manager. And, you know, I like sports. I do wrestling. I'm just fascinated about the world around me. And as I learn, I want everybody else to grasp, you know, knowledge, you know, around me as well. So I want to grow at the same rate, you know, other people are, and I want to spread knowledge and just be innovative and pretty much be top of the world one day. So how about you introduce yourself? Hello, I am Mason Jacobs. I am a sophomore at a college. Uh, I am currently a major in social work and a minor in psychology. And similar to Peyton, I'm very interested about the world around me. I love history. I love going into in-depth about the mind and how things, various different things, nature and nurture affect us in the environment, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'd say that I'm a fan of basically everything. I, I'm into sports, video games, anime, different, any different culture. Uh, but if I had to pick one specific thing that I enjoy doing the most, I'd probably have to say photography is my favorite way of seeing you know different things about the world and capturing in different ways i think that's a very unique thing man that's pretty cool Uh, i like photography i like art and you know since we're on the topic of seeing the world in a specific way uh we're gonna touch base on a lot of that and the main person we're gonna look uh that's gonna help us you know achieve that uh that main outlook on the world is, you know, his name is Noam Chomsky. He is a psychologist. I think he's still alive. He's pretty old from the last time I checked. Um, Yeah, he's 93 years old. Uh, He is a psychologist out of University of Pennsylvania. Um, His influences are Ferdinand de... Saussure, Alan Turing, uh, Moore, and yeah, so the reason I picked uh, Noam Chomsky was he's not well known, and I think he is one of the most underrated people that need to be talked about in t- today's society because he I has, actually I actually haven't heard of him before, so I'm excited to hear the rundown from you. Yeah, for sure. He's uh, writ- written several books. Uh, his most popular ones is manufacturing con consent and the other one that is popular was back in 2014 who rules the world and by the sounds of those books i haven't read it i'd be very inclined to read it one day but he is a big conspiracy theorist uh i know that his 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 title on the internet doesn't really describe who he truly was as a person uh little did i know i was actually talking to one of my professors about him and my professor knew exactly who Noam Chomsky was. He is actually he's actually a, a Marxist apparently. You know, interesting. Yeah, so he he derives a lot of his work from uh, the Marxist movement, and whatnot. So let let's get into the, into the nitty gritty. You know what what did Noam Chomsky actually do? He he's most famous for writing ten strategies of manipulation by the media. You know, he he's a renowned critic and always he's a renowned critic and MIT linguistic, uh, one of the, the classic voices of intellectual dissent in the last decade. He has accomplished a list of 10 most common and effective strategies resorted to by the agendas hidden to establish a manipulation of the population through the media. Historically, the media have proven highly efficient to mold public opinion uh right off the bat do you think you could come up with any examples of how you know public opinion is molded absolutely um i mean i've heard it said all throughout high school and basically all throughout my life even from my parents that you know the media is is not unbiased you know all all media is biased these days whether it's fox news cnn whatever you're going to look at so the, the unfortunate thing about media these days is 
all media is trying to push you towards some sort of message to mold right. your mind in some way. And it starts even in kids' TV shows. Right. Like, um, like when I was a kid, uh, I was watching Scooby-Doo, Teen Titans. And, you know, I'm sure those were pushing messages, but not as not nearly as much as yeah. they do today. Yeah. Like, they have in, – in little kid TV shows, they, they're starting to have gay couples – Stuff like that, transgender people, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing per se, right? But it's it's kind of just forcing them into a thing where it's saying you have to be okay with this or you have to see it this way, and I feel like it's it's almost they're a little too young for stuff right. like that, right? Like they should be when when they're at that age, they should be learning things, right? They should, and not that this isn't something they can't learn about, right? I just think that this isn't the way to properly go about it. And that's what—that's why I think one of the more important things that's also becoming prevalent in today's day age is screen time. Right. Uh, like making sure that your kids monitoring monitoring what they're watching first off. Yeah. And second of all, how much they're watching. Yeah. So um, that's um, to touch you know on that you know I I found picked up some good points that you were saying there. So I think you were trying to say that like kids are naturally apolitical, and when you push those agendas on them through cartoons and whatnot, you're trying to force them to be political, which is just yeah, it, not... It, it's yeah. trying to force political ideas and woke agenda into something that should just be, you know, yeah. a relaxing or learning experience, yeah. if and nothing else. Yeah, and um, it's kind of funny because I saw a joke the other day on TikTok, you know, and it was pretty much poking fun at the fact that woke agenda and racism are very now similar you know, uh, because people are so, quote unquote, woke that, you know, racism and wokeism both believe that you should hold close to your racial identity, you know, and that's something that should be irrelevant to today's society. But, you know, it, people hold closely to their political values and it's just not it's, it's like they make their identity about their political value when life is so much more than that right life is short like no like, one no one you're not gonna care that you're a and poet. besides you shouldn't be identifying by a certain party anyway that's not how decisions should be made right decisions should be made based on proper research into their positions watching the debates and hearing what they actually say versus what smear campaigns are running about them mm-hmm. um I mean, but then again, the issue with all that is the source. The uh, you're getting it through the media. It's all politics is basically just a show pony thing nowadays. Right. I feel like it's a lot of show, a lot of arguing, and it, it feels like one of those judge TV shows, like Judge Judy. It feels like a lot happens, but nothing ever truly really gets done. Right. None of it feels productive anymore. Right. It's all artificial. It's just, it just seems like a way to th- feel like the citizens have influence in it. Right. You know, with voting and everything like that, yeah. but when it comes down to it, I'm not so sure that they truly do. Right, and a lot of what I see in Noam Chomsky's work has a lot to do with philosophy, especially political philosophy. And the one that I come back to most of the time is the allegory of the cave that is created by Plato. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and for those who don't know what that is, it's pretty much, um, you know, p- close your eyes and picture this in your mind. So there's a bunch of prisoners in a cave, and they're all chained to a wall. The way that they're chained, they can only look forward. And what they see is a stone wall, and on the stone wall is shadows, shapes, sounds. And this is what they come to know as reality. So one day, one of the prisoners escapes, uh, and you know he's looking around. He's uh, confused. His mind is very discombobulated. And then... He finds out that the source of their knowledge comes from, you know, a puppet show. And, you know, he looks at the fire creating the puppets and he's like, he's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. So then with a little bit more discovering, he um, he finds a way out of the cave and he finds the sun. He finds he finds the outside. He breathes clean air. And that practically represents, you know, truth, ultimate knowledge, you know, and whatnot. Uh, with with his eagerness, he goes back and tells the other prisoners, you guys have to escape. You know, there's a whole world outside of what we know. What you know currently is 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 not knowledge. It's just, it's just a, a small fragment. Right. It's a facade. It's just uh, shadows and sounds. 
And when the prisoners heard this, they got angry and killed the guy. So that that kind of... Seems a little harsh. Yeah, it is harsh. But if you think about it, that was a few thousand years ago that, that, that Plato kind of created that. And that is what we see in today's society with cancel cancel culture that's literally what plato was saying absolutely like everyone needs to wake up but it's hard to wake up because you're going to be someone finds the truth but the 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 culture doesn't necessarily like the truth so they 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 cancel that person shut them down make it so they can't be heard anymore right uh not that i agree with any person's philosophy but few people who come to mind in modern society are andrew tate uh, he got banned from saying the truth and right. every, or not necessarily the truth, but his truth or whatever. Right. Free um, speech. And I mean, the most recent one, obviously, and very controversial is Kanye. Kanye West. I mean, he he has certainly thought he has found his truth, but Dude, I, he, don't know. He, I mean, it's, but he it's made, a, it, I don't agree with it personally, but he made I don't bad. I'm not necessarily I don't think he should be prevented per se, because that I mean, freedom of speech has to be a thing. Right. I mean, that doesn't mean you're free of the consequences, right. but like some people may agree with them and, you know, maybe his views will have some benefit to people in the future. But as of right now, I just, I just don't see that. And maybe I, I'm part of, maybe I'm part of the cancel culture mob. Maybe I just don't realize it yet. I think Kanye is a special case. I think the only argument you need is he made graduation. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> All right, so, you know, speaking of truth, you know, let's get into the nitty-gritty. Let's finally unravel what Noam Chomsky's life work consisted of. Let's go into number one of the ten strategies of manipulation. The strategy of distraction. The primary element of social control is the strategy of distraction, which is to divert public attention from important issues and changes determined by the political and economic elites. By the technique of flood or flooding, continuous distractions, and insignificant information. Distraction strategy is also essential to prevent the public interest in the essential knowledge in the area of the science, economics, psychology, neurobiology, and cybernetics. Maintaining public attention diverted away from the real social problems, captivated by matters of no real importance. Keep the public busy, busy, busy. No time to think. Back to farm and other animals. That is a quote from text Silent Weapons for War. What? So, to carry on, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought right there. But... Uh, to kind of elaborate on that, I, I'd say the first thing that comes to mind is ancient Rome, actually. So quite interestingly enough, you know, a lot, a lot of a lot of theories from psychologists, you know, they sound very modern, but it's derived from, you know, ancient uh, ruins, ancient uh, ideas and ide- philosophy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and ancient governments. That's the word I was looking for. So, you know, back to Rome. So Rome was, you know, they ruled with an iron fist. Uh, I, I think, I think the most controlling of the emperors was Nero. Yeah, he, he well maybe I don't know about most controlling, but definitely the most aggressive and hateful. That's for sure. Most hated. <coughs> well, he certainly hated Christians at least. Right, he definitely persecuted Christians. Oh, tons, know. tons of Christians. Yeah, he didn't care about the people in poverty. Uh, let me look up the most hated emperor. So it was actually um, Julius Caesar. Really? Yeah. So. Well, I do know he was betrayed. There's actually a very famous play based on it called Julius Caesar. Yeah. So, yeah. So looking it up, you know, Julius Caesar. or So Julius Caesar was one of the most hated Nero was one of the most hated. Uh, Roman Emperor Caligula was one of the most cruelest emperors. Uh, I feel like I've heard that name before, Caligula. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, he fell into sickness, and when he recovered from the sickness, he became ruthless. 
he was a killer. Caligula but it was. It doesn't a, sound like he was very hated, according to based on the things you've said. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it sounds like most of these emperors were pretty along the lines of Darth Vader. <laughs> That's what it seems. Um, and back to Rome, I think number one on my mental list is, you know, the, the citizens were distracted by the Colosseum. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, so according to modern scholarly interpretations, the gladiatorial games were perhaps vehicles of social control and functioned to distract the populace from recognizing their diminished autonomy under imperial rule. Uh, each emperor organized the games inside the Colosseum as propaganda, aiming to top the last extravagance and epic battles to increase his popularity. The Colosseum could fit 50,000 spectators. Uh, it was also estimated that it could fit almost 80,000, making these games similar in to size as modern football games. So that, that's actually a good segue from the Colosseum is, you know, mo- modern sports. You know, you see these uh, big arenas put up for people's entertainment. It's the, you know, you got the new Bucks arena that was put up, I think, in 2018. Uh, you, you just got football which is the most popular sport in America. And I mean, there's soccer, which is the most, you know, the most famous sport in the world. And yeah, their their yeah. stadiums are huge. Yes. Ginormous. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the most decorated sport uh, in the world, I'd say. Most watched. I, I've, I actually watched some research or looked up some research on it. And... Uh, the World Cup in and of itself is watched by like five times the amount of people who watch the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, your thing paused. Oh, shit. Yeah, so sorry for the cut out there, but we were just describing how uh, soccer is the most famous sport in the world. Yeah, uh, I, me- I just mentioned the, the fact that it's a- it's around like – I'd say around like 50 million-ish to maybe 100 million people watch the Super Bowl every year. But the World Cup actually draws in about like 1 billion or 1 to 2 billion, which is – that's like 2% of the – well, not 2% of the world. Two sevens obviously. Right. That's a lot of people. That's all over the world. And I don't know much about like these – major foreign sports like soccer but i know when it comes to the mlb the nba uh the nfl you know they're all they're all pretty much controlled by the same people you know if you want to get down to the main point of it uh they most of these people are actually billionaires that own these uh sports franchises and they they don't become billionaires because of the sports. You know, they, they become billionaires due to prior uh, businesses that they've worked for or found. Well, and then they're just racking up more money. Yeah, exactly. With jersey sales, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. What they take off the top, all that. Yeah, so, like, the, these people, you know, like, uh, I'll, I'll put out um, – I'll put out Wes Edens, you know, as an example of someone that I know is a billionaire. So Wes Edens, he's an American billionaire, and he is the co-owner of the Bucks currently in Milwaukee. And uh, he founded he founded an investment company that manages forty five billion dollars worth of assets, pretty much. And you know, those type of people, you know, these billionaires that I'm talking about, they all work for you know, uh, finance companies, you know, the, the banks, the investment corporations, you know, uh, hedge funds, stocks, you know. Yeah, so, you know, like I was saying, you know, these people, they they kind of own all the same stuff. And these are the type of people that wanted to kind of distract you from, you know, what what's really going on behind the scenes. They figure that if they got... Millions and millions of people watching people throw a ball, you know, they could do a lot of stuff under our noses, pretty much. That's what Noam Chomsky was 
kind of saying with and uh, and it doesn't just stop with sports i mean you have to consider all the things like reality tv um you know as much as reality tv is put on to be real a lot of it is scripted and a lot of the drama is scripted and it's just meant there to be a distraction a lot of the drama you see on facebook twitter stuff like that between big celebrities big corporations it's it's all a way of getting garnering attention you know there's the saying that there, there's no such thing as bad press. All press mm-hmm. is good press. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So it's it's all meant to be a distraction. Right. Like it it, it reminds me of the WWE, oddly enough. Right. Um, you know, they have they'll like let's say a, some sort of scandal happens with the WWE star. Um a lot of the times after something like that, the WWE would do something like have this incredible matchup never heard before, like the Undertaker versus whoever the new rising star whatever and it's like oh well they're doing this incredible thing and it distracts from something shady their country their company might have done or stuff like that Mm -hmm. stuff like that happens all the time it's trying to manage the public it just seeing the favorable things right and the people know it's fake too but they still love it right so it even goes to show that you know even if you tell people the truth they're still going to want to slip into that comfortability of just being dumb and entertained. You know, that that's what they care about. They're, is like, they're willing to be – they want to be distracted. That's the thing. People are so exhausted and everything from their daily lives and everything that they're purposefully seeking out distraction. And that's allowing them to not receive the proper information that they need to see. Right. Like the, the actual issue at hand. Right. Because they don't want any more issues on their plate. Because life is hard. Right. They don't want to see have any more issues on their plate. They just want, you know, the, to, to be distracted from all that. They want mm-hmm. to relax and enjoy themselves, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, of course. Their rest, resting is a crucial part to life. But when that becomes a day-to-day, year-to-year cycle, mm-hmm. nothing productive will, will come in your mindset because you're not actively seeking the, the proper knowledge. Yeah, for sure. Um I think I think a lack of knowledge, you know, creates problems within people's lives and people don't realize that that lack of knowledge is creating an issue. So they just keep on letting letting their ignorance build and build and build because and then one day they realize, you know, how depressing their lives were, you know, because they just focused so much on uh Instagram, social media, TikTok, your phones, you know, I was you know, I, I I do a mindfulness practice. You know, I kind of I kind of do uh, this thing not every day, where I kind of I just meditate while I'm awake. You know, and I kind of mix that in with awareness, mindfulness, blah, blah blah. But all I'm doing is I'm just paying attention to the world around me. I'm paying attention to my actions. I'm paying attention to my peers and my family's actions, you know, one, and every time I go home, you know, for a holiday or whatnot, you know, I just see my parents just after a long, hard day at work, just plop down on the couch and just watch TV. And like, and it, it's non-productive TV, you know, I, I always kind of revert back to a quote from my favorite ex-YouTuber, you know, his name is Sneeko, um, Sneeko actually got canceled, you know, on YouTube because, you know, he was trying to exercise his right of free speech and they took that away from him. But anyways, you know, these people, they consume unimportant media. You know, I always say that if you're going to consume media, have it be productive, get something out of it. If you're not getting something out of it, then you're just becoming dumber and killing brain cells, you know, as the day goes by. Um... I just noticed that with everybody, people standing in lines at Target, people standing in lines to get their food. What are they doing? They, they can't look people into the eyes anymore. We're just so connected. We're more connected to our phones than we are with the people that we love the most. I think that's insane. And, you know, that that's due to distraction, you know, because we we don't value real life relationships anymore. You know, that that's due to being distracted we are distracted from what's truly valuable in our lives and man i can't it's not like i I can't wait but i'm i'm just eager to see how generation z is going to turn out once we're all old and crippled 
you know, like, I, I, I feel like most of us are just going to be more depressed than any old age group has ever been. And, and I think that's already really visible. Yeah, and it's already visible. We're, we're even, even at younger ages, we're already starting to be more affected by mental health. Right, like, it, it makes me cry when I see, like, 13-year-olds on antidepressants because, like, you know, I'm, I'm only 20, but when I was 13... <laughs> When I was 13, I was watching Spongebob and, like, doing backflips in the backyard and stuff, you know? Like, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know what depression was, you know? I was going to say, I didn't really think about it or really feel the symptoms uh, until I was in high school or anything yeah. like that. Like, when I was when I was 13, 14 even, uh, I was so focused on hanging out with friends and, like, yeah. f- thinking about the next game coming out on the DS or the Wii or something. And, you know, I just couldn't possibly fathom the idea of people around my age having depression or anxiety or even even sadder now killing themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there are nine-year-olds out there killing themselves. Yeah, I know. Like, the first of all, the fact that they even have the ability and access is insane. Yeah. And second of all, the fact that the mental health is already at that point where right. it's at this young generation who is on electronics even more than Gen Z is. Right. And I, I don't know too much about why nine-year-olds are, you know, more depressed than 10 years ago. But I, I feel like a lot has to do with, you know, uh, the, the biology of, you know, depression and how it comes to be. And, you know, well, that- and, it, and it's the use of media has increased so much yeah. that it, it's in, come to, you know... Right. Even sooner in life. Like, I didn't really – I didn't get a phone until I was probably in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only reason I got this phone was so I could communicate with yeah. my parents on when to, like, come pick me up from a track meet. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's, there's, like, kids age two who are watching TV on their phone because their parents use it as a tool because it's easier to get that to entertain them mm-hmm. and quiet them and satisfy them yeah. than to actually – yeah, my, my communicate with them, and it and it's, I mean, I totally get it, but at the same time, it's just kind of it's kind of sad. Yeah, my three year old cousin has a phone, and I'm like, dude, has his own phone? Has his own phone? Oh, that that's insane. And like, I'm like, oh my goodness, I would never give my kid a phone no. before the age of ten. I know. If, I I don't feel like I'm personally going to get my kids phones until probably yeah. the same age when I got one. Yeah, I had to grow into a smartphone because I started off with your normal track phone. You could only call and text me if you need anything. Right. You know, that was it. And then eventually, you know, I got, you know, a 16 gigabyte smartphone, which I could only download two apps with it. And then, you know, eventually, I, it was actually after high school when I actually got an iPhone, you know, right. with, with more than 16 gigabytes on it. So it's like... I was going to say, the first time I got an iPhone was senior year of high school. I mean, yeah. I, I would get my mom's hand-me-down smartphones, right. Samsung's. Right. And, you know, it was it was very limited. I, I used right. it for the most part right. as a way to communicate with my parents, communicate mm-hmm. with my friends. Um, I, I didn't have Snapchat until freshman year of high school yeah me too. like i was i was way behind on on that whole thing like yeah. all my friends had and everything like and, but but now it's like despite you know they have these very light age restrictions mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and it's like oh well it's only for people 13 but if you actually go and look there's so many people who are underage who have those things and that that's kind Same of thing with video games too especially with call of duty and things like right. that that that's kind of funny that you mentioned the age restriction thing because you know we'll get to that we'll actually touch base on that you know in a couple minutes, uh, but you know that's actually one of the strategies of manipulation you know so I'll, I'll get back to that with that whole exposing children to inappropriate things at a young age and trying to make it normalized but we'll we'll get back to that in a second yeah so we should we should move on to the second yeah point. so number two is uh, create problems then offer solutions. This method is also called problem reaction solution. It creates a problem, a situation referred to cause some reaction in the audience. So this is the principle of the steps that you want to accept. 
For example, let it unfold and intensify urban violence or arrange for bloody attacks in order that the public is the uh, in order that the public is the applicant's security law and policies to the determined of freedom or create an economic crisis to accept as necessary evil retreat of social rights and dismantling of public services dude as i was reading that i was getting real passionate because i'm like bro this is this is the time like this is the most prominent you know this violence and rioting is happening and noam chomsky came up with this you know back in the geez i don't know the 60s you know, that, like, you know, back when he was writing these theories and stuff, you know, they... Back before there was even internet. Right, back before there was even internet, you know. And, of course, he was writing this stuff during the civil rights movements, you know, Detroit, Chicago. It was very violent and stuff. But what, at the same time, Noam Chomsky was trying to say, like, guys, wake up, because if you don't, this this violence, this rioting is going to keep on occurring. This is, Rioting is not a natural occurrence. It's only it's a it's a forced phenomenon, you know, from the uh, dare I say elites, you know, it's a forced event, you know, that's pushed to the working class, you know, by the elites, you know, so that we're all killing each other in the streets so that we're not focused on what's truly uh, important, you know, like knowledge, picking up a book, you know, family. You know, as long as we're killing ourselves, you know, instead of researching why the things they are the way they are and finding a civil way to change it it's almost like with the growing of violent video games among the younger generations violent, yep. uh, violent media in general like they're they're i i wasn't a big horror movie fan until maybe a year ago mm-hmm. but there there are kids younger than me age five age six were being exposed to chucky and other horror movies like that and that's unfathomable to me because i'm like well, you guys always talk about the, the violence in video games or whatever when it comes to stuff like that. But, like, have you considered the fact that you're showing children horror movies? Right. And, and the fact that they started making horror movies PG-13. Right. Like, you know, like, I, I know, like, to me, A Quiet Place, you know, one of my favorite horror movies, it wasn't that scary, you know. Um, but if you think about it, Dude, it was, you know, its, it's main themes were killing and fear, you know, and you're, you're trying to introduce that into kids' minds, you know, just violence and, you know, back to your violent video game uh, rant, you know, that was very accurate, you know, like, it, it, here, here's the thing, you know, we think that these video games and the rap music, we, we you know, we kind of theorize that it makes children, you know, more violent. I wouldn't say it makes us violent. I'd say it makes us numb to violence. I think desensitizes. It yeah. desensitizes us. It causes us to look at to and, be more okay with violence. Right. To be like, oh well, you know, I've seen people do this. I've seen people in media fighting for what they want and what they believe in. Right. So why shouldn't I? Why can't I? Right. And because because of like the normalized violent nature of the media and the world now, you know these you know these kids are looking at you know, beheading videos, you know, of Al-Qaeda and being like, oh, like, that dude died. You know, yeah. like, these kids aren't even flinching nowadays, you know? I was going to say, the, just a personal story real quick. Um, when I was in my Boy Scout troop, there was there was a guy in there who went to, a, like, high school near me, but I, I wasn't familiar with him other than that. Um, and, like, we were, we were camping. He's like, hey, do you want to watch this music video or, like, this music? And it was, like, set to Bruno Mars's Grenade, but it was a video of people legitimately dying in horribly gruesome ways, and I was horrified. Like it was, it was brains, people getting shot, literal grenades blowing up. Um, it was animals, humans, all sorts of things, and it was horrible. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and this was this was I was probably around like what. 14 15 in boy scouts just trying to go camping yeah and 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 this dude in my troop was so desensitized to violence that he was okay with showing other uh, people and thought it was funny he thought this it was funny because all these videos of these people literally dying like these were real videos these weren't like fake paper mache whatever was set to bruno mars's grenade like are you for real right And, and like and 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 there within is the the creating the problem 
And then the people who are creating the problem, such as video game companies and the media, mm-hmm. offer, offer these solutions saying, well, maybe these people in the political power are the ones we need to change. Right, exactly. And well, then- when it comes down to reality, the people in political power didn't create it. Right. And half the time, they're so at odds with one another, they can't get an actual idea to pass through. Right, exactly. And most of the time when when you know, the media and the elites, when they introduce a problem, most of the time they offer a crappy solution, you know, because the, the, the way that they portray it to the mass is, well, this is a big problem that's out of our hands. So we'll we'll give you a we'll give you a bone. We'll give you a little bit of reparations. We'll give you a little bit of money or whatever. Just and then you just keep your mouth shut because that's all you're gonna get. You know, like um, like I'm trying I'm trying to think. yeah. They they kind of will say you're not gonna get a better deal than this. So you might as well just take our money and yes. shut up with it. Yeah. Why um man, there's so many examples that come to mind. Um. I'd say, um, what do you think? Like, um, the problem reaction solution. Hmm. You know, you know, I think back to, I think I wasn't going to try to reiterate on this because it was going to be redundant, but you know, it's the most prominent example that comes to my mind. Eyes, you know, the rioting, you know, the, it's funny because the rioters they think they really they really think that they're gonna pretty much ultimately solve something by creating all this violence, but in reality, it's it's actually the media and the news and uh, the elites that want them to riot and and the people in charge of the groups that they're a part of. Right, exactly. You know, pushing like, them to do this because they they're telling them that it will make a difference. Right, and then they're therefore creating this problem, and then. Well, they they perceive or tell the people that the problem is with the government or with a certain thing, right. and then they want to create, they want to solve the problem by creating another problem right. and rioting and damaging people's personal property right. and stuff like that. Which I'm not saying that rioting isn't okay and it's not a useful tool, mm-hmm. but when it comes to it, it's kind of like the libertarian view. You know, you're allowed to do whatever you want mm-hmm. as long as you don't mess with my stuff or me. You know, right. So. <laughs> I think that they 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 try to solve a problem with a problem, which creates one more big problem. And they're they're like, well, the solution that'll make us stop doing this and cause peace is to give us this unrealistic thing, or right, exactly. to take this one person out of office. When that one person out of office is only being blamed because they're in office, not because mm-hmm. they actually had an effect. Right. It's, it's kind of like. The leader of the, you know, the captain of the Titanic is the one who's blamed for the Titanic going down when in reality it was the iceberg. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or the lookout who should have told the captain, hey, there's an iceberg in front of us. Right. But, you know, the captain wasn't doing that because he he had a lookout person. Right. For sure. It's never blamed on the people. It's actually – it's always blamed on who's leading at the time and never, you know, who's actually at fault. At least that's kind of how I perceive it. Right. Um. This might be a fact checked fact ah, fact check kind of moment for me, but bear with me. So we're gonna dive in a little bit more conspiracy theories on what I'm about to say. But you know, this whole problem reaction solution, you know, with with the government is, you know, COVID. So the problem the, the issue at hand with COVID was that, you know, there is a um you know, there, there is a disease that's, you know, out there, it's killing people, you know, it, it's bringing down the immune system of millions of people across the world. So that was, the, that was the issue. And the reaction was a big panic, the, the big panic by the government and the big businesses in America. And they were, they were very ill prepared, you know, and it's funny that they were ill prepared, because there was a lot of Psychologists, uh, there was a lot of, you know, billionaires who kept saying that uh, a big crisis was going to unfold in America in the next, you know, however many years, you know. So honestly, with the science and tech, with the science and technology that, you know, the world has, you know, it was pretty simple to see something like this come into our lives. And yet, you know, for some reason, 
It disrupted everything. Yeah, it disrupted everything, you know, and it just so happens that most of the people that were working for, you know, crisis handling in the government, you know, they just so happened to be fired right before COVID hit. And really? I, yeah, and I forgot who crisis management was is in the government, but there is a you know, there is a branch in the government that you know handles crises and whatnot. You know, and they they were all fired. You know, right before COVID hit, and and their solution was to keep us inside. And what that did was that ultimately shut down small businesses, uh, people. You know, we're afraid for their lives, and um, and then they they came to rely on the government for stimulus. Yes, stuff like that. Yeah, and there's the big there. Thank you. That is the big fish or line hook and sinker, whatever the phrase goes. You know that that's the big thing that did it in. You know, you know it was a big it was a big event for the world that caused people to rely on the government. And these same people that say F the government, those are the same people that rely on the government for stimulus checks, food stamps, <laughs> vaccines, you know, but it's like, you know, uh, that it's like, guys, you guys hate the government. Why do you beg the government for things, you know, that are going to make you unhealthier, you know, and that, that that's very <laughs> bizarre to me. That, for sure. That's another reason people are ignorant. You know, they they rely, people rely on the very things that they hate. And it's like, guys, wake up, you know. And, you know, COVID caused a lot of violence, you know, within communities. It brought a lot of distrust, distrust and distraughtness. And, you know, with the violence, you know, we're going to get to point number three, the gradual strategy. So what this is, is the gradual strategy is acceptance, acceptance to an unacceptable degree. Just apply it gradually, dropper for consecutive years. That is how they radically new socioeconomic conditions, aka neoliberalism, were imposed during the 1980s and 1990s. The minimal state, privatization, precariousness, flexibility, massive unemployment, wages, and do not guarantee a decent income so many changes that have brought about a revolution if they had been applied once so this this is a very hard one to wrap my mind around but you know they the message that i get from this is you know introduce society to something that is unacceptable but in very small increments. And eventually, as, as long as you keep building upon that idea, just little bit by little bit, you know, eventually people are going to be okay with things that are, you know, very highly unacceptable, you know. And the government can do this with anything. You know, if you think about it, you know, they could do this with the brainwashing of children. They could do this with, ah, here's a prime example, pedophilia. I know, I know it's a uh, touchy subject, but, you know... Literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know it's a uh, taboo subject, but, you know, like, pedophilia is trying to become more normalized in society. And people are, people are saying nothing about this. There is no articles, there is no videos, there is no news articles about how... Pedophilia is very prominent and running rampant in America and all over the world. I think one of the biggest social I don't I don't, I'm not a big advocator for social issues, but one thing that I actually do get angry about, you know, it, it has nothing to do with race, you know, nothing to do with, you know, um, you know, lack of money, you know, it's it's children. Specifically uh sex trafficking. Like dude, um I don't know the exact statistics on it, but I know that sex trafficking is such a huge problem, you know, and uh, I, what have you heard about sex trafficking lately, Mason? Um, well, within various social work classes, I mean, it's, it's unfortunately not getting better. Um, there's only so much that can be done because a lot of it's reactionary. You, you can't prevent 
per se because if they haven't committed a crime yet like the the per like a lot of times they will use identities new identities or whatever so um if if that I- identity they've conjured up in the records hasn't like committed a crime yet there's technically nothing the police or anything can do because there's no suspicion yeah um i mean obviously as as a social worker i'm a huge advocate for children's safety um i've actually seen a couple articles in the coming years um just or not coming years but passing years uh one of them was the like 10 year age gap california law mm-hmm. where it was like if you're already dating someone 10 years younger than you in california it's acceptable and a lot of people were up in arms because Wait, they thought that true. this was legally, like, legalizing pedophilia, per se. Um, which, I mean, it was kind of sketch because the the time frame on, like, what age was acceptable or not was kind of sketch. Right. Um, and, like, dude, that there's no way around that. That's pedophilia, man. That's grooming. That's uh, yeah. not okay, you know? Like, um, like this these kind of statistics are never talked about but you know there's over 40 million victims of human trafficking globally today and 25 percent of those people are children you know and you know this comes from liberatechildren.org so you can look that up uh on, on for your own discretion and a child is sold for sex approximately 20 to 30 times per day Dude, like, what the hell? That's crazy. And um, it was just announced in California that 7,000 um, 7, pedophiles were released from prison. Wow. Like, dude, we're trying to, like, do you guys, like, audience, do you guys realize that, you know, the media is trying to introduce, like, horrible, horrific, evil, nefarious acts into uh everyday life as if it's normal you know i was gonna say a recent example of this i've kind of seen on the internet is with Billie eilish mm. uh she she started dating this guy from the neighborhood i believe his name's jesse rutherford uh and like he's known her hit her whole life like and she she's you know just turned 18 not that many years ago i mean she's around the same age as right. us um and he's known her since she was a child Dude. and you know a lot of people are sketched out by this, but she, you know, she's insistent that that she has pulled him or whatever. Right. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, he gaslighted her into believing that she picked him out when, you know, they've known each other forever. And when she was a young kid, like if I knew someone when they were a kid right, and then I, I grow up to date them and, right. and or potentially marry them, that's really weird. Right. Like <laughs> that's like – I, I've seen one of my one of my closest friends, like his daughter, or his, not his daughter, obviously his sister. You know, like most siblings do when they're they're very young, they run around naked mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. You know, so like I've seen my, you know, they they run around naked. You you cover your eyes. It's weird. Right. That's that's like seeing that that little three year old kid running around naked, three year old girl running around naked, waiting. 15 year 15 years to when they're 18 and be going oh by the way i uh i'm attracted to you let's date that means there was a prior attraction prior right. to them being 18 right and the the reason why nobody is speaking up is you know i i honestly want to kind of put the blame on like world culture i would say you know not 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 necessarily not necessarily the collective group but uh the theme that it has brought about People don't want to say anything because they're afraid that if uh, you speak up against something that is evil, then you're just going to get canceled. You're going to get fired from your job. Nobody's going to love you. You can't get hired anymore. Uh, So people don't want to speak up. You know, they don't want to be put on the spot. They don't want to be flamed. They don't want to be, you know, kind of greenlit, I guess, you know. And uh, the more people that are shut up, the the more people that are silenced, the the more the elites have kind of the pass, you know? So that, and like one more scandal that, you know, is kind of angers me with the whole pedophilia thing is, you know, the, have you heard anything about Balenciaga recently? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So 
If you don't know, uh, Balenciaga kind of made a uh, campaign for, you know, the new fashion, blah, blah, blah. But their new, the new photo shoots include children, and the children are holding, um, they're holding teddy bears that are dressed in BDSM outfits, and they're dressed in sex outfits, pretty much. And, oh, man, and if you don't think that's wrong, then you need to get your brain checked. So kids should not be selling sex appeal. Yes, yes, exactly. Kids are being sold as sex appeal now. No, that's disgusting. And um, it's funny because, you know, you see you, if your neighbor does this with kids. If your neighbor did this with kids, did a photo shoot with, um, with promoting sex, you know, he's put in jail for pedophilia, you know. But... If the elites do pedophilia and include it little bit by little bit in our lives, then, you know, it's okay, you know. And, you know, they're not even calling them pedophiles anymore. They're calling them maps. Minor, minor attracted peoples, you know. So it's like... Um, I think that goes on with uh, what number four is, actually. Right. right. Which is the, the strategy of deferring. So another way to accept an unpopular decision is to present it as painful and necessary Gaining public acceptance at the time for future application, it's easier to accept that a future sacrifice instead of an immediate slaughter. So that goes on exactly with what you're saying. Slowly and slowly, you know, they're, they're introducing this very, very slow. And then as it, as it gets forward in the future, you know, it doesn't seem like such a bad idea as you go on. Right. That, that's, all, that's almost exactly what you were talking about. Dude, oh my goodness. And... Man, the, the thing that I think about is, you know, you know, the whole civil rights movement. And know? it even says here that, um, you know, at first, because the effort is not used immediately, the public is like, oh, it'll be better tomorrow. And then as time goes on, it gives them more time to deal with those thoughts and see that thing. And then it's like right. they slowly grow to be more OK with it. So that's almost exactly what you're right. talking about. Exactly. You know, like um, uh and I don't know if this goes exactly with number four, but this is the best example that can come to my mind is, you know, the whole idea of social injustice, you know, with with black people, you know, like, um, you know, we're black, you know, I'm part black. And from what I know, from what I've seen growing up, you know, black people, you know, are always promised, you know, like your situation is bad currently. But, you know, one day, one day we'll get there. You know, but we've been at this fight for fuck or for frick for frickin' 1865, you know, and it's like, and it's like, how much can we be promised to go through the hardships and, you know, the, um, the, the poverty and whatnot until things actually start to go our way, you know, and, you know, me personally, I'm just trying to speak on behalf of how a lot of black people feel in America. You know, I'm I'm not one of those people that, you know, believe that believe that things are you know awful with the black people uh, just because, you know, I've been raised with great parents that, you know, put food in my mouth. You know, I have never had run ins with the police. So I'm just speaking for, you know, all of the black folks, you know, in America that have run into injustice and pro- and empty promises, you know, like, oh, things will get better tomorrow. But eventually, but if we keep like black people, listen up, if we keep holding on to that promise, that's just going to lead us to our own slaughter. We are if we keep holding on to that. We are lambs that are just going to be turned into euro meat, you know? Yeah. And I, I think this actually goes with the the idea of number five is uh, there are a lot of broken nuclear families. Um, a lot of people who don't necessarily have, even if they do have that family, don't have positive figures in their life. So they, they go to the public like they're, and treat them like children. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they talk to them almost as if they, they don't know anything at all. Yes. Um, and, and when they do this... They they put it in a way where they're they're they pretend like they're informing you, but when in reality they're just telling you what to do. Right. These politicians, these politicians have put themselves up on a pedestal. You know, they give us the portrayal that I am smarter than you, 
So <laughs> this is why you should vote for me because I am smarter than you uh, than you because of X, Y, and Z. And you know you're just gonna look up to me and uh, and since you look up to me as your father figure, I'm just gonna lead you to your own demise, you know, and I'm just going to manipulate you until the end of time. And Uh, I think I think one of the the big things in a lot of it is trust Um, with 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 trust. All basically all these things in the media are telling you to trust them. Right. And, you know, um, when you when you have that thing and uh, the consistent thing is there and they're providing you with mostly truthful thing you begin to trust them and so while you start in the forefront of their ideas that yeah they are truthful and then you get more into it and because you already agree and you like a lot of the things at the front of that group you feel as though you to like that group you have to accept everything they're a part of so like for for example not that i can speak on this per se but there are a lot of good things about the black lives matter movement and what they Mm -hmm. stand for and that's in the front of it. But the deeper you go into yeah. it, there's a lot of messed up stuff that people are starting to mm-hmm. find. Yep. Um, it's like, let me – let <laughs> yeah, you know, with the whole BLM stuff, it's like, let me be your father. Let me lead you into the promised land and stuff. But on the side, we're going to pour a crap ton of money into stuff that doesn't matter. You know, um, um, I know that, you know, not a whole lot of new uh, schools were built. Uh, be and let me let me actually look up the statistics of statistics about it. How much money? Yep. Uh, in in twenty twenty, Black Lives Matter raised ninety million dollars, and you know how much the education system has gotten better? Zilch. Zero. You know how many homes and uh, anti-gentrification movements have, you know, been brought about? Zero. Zilch. You know, so $90 million, guys, you know, and that was two years ago. Where did it all go? Where did it all go? You know, and, you know, it's I've seen videos of Black Lives Matter uh, leaders, you know, being exposed and for, you know, buying homes and for buying uh, amenities that are not necessary to the movement and it's like you know uh, again like if you're part of that movement you know do background checks of who you follow you know these people absolutely these people act as if they are fatherly figures um and they, they say they're gonna take care of you they say you know we see your problem and we will take care of you we yeah. will help you find the solution if you do these things right. for us and what that does is they they kind of inadvertently tell you, they, they say, I will do the thinking for you. And because of that, you don't have to think. You just sit back, you work, and maybe one day, you know, you'll close your eyes and then reopen them and find, you know, a utopia. But guys, this, if you allow politicians and whatnot to do our thinking for us, that kills our ability to, you know, critical thinking. Uh, I, I don't know. I was to explain it, but so that was a long session. Um, you know, I have, I think we're going to do a part two. I, I didn't know that this first session was going to go this long, uh, but a lot of good things to talk about. Yeah. A lot of good things to talk about. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, anything Absolutely. else to add Mason? Uh, just, just keep in mind that, you know, we, as much as we like conspiracy theorists and delving into things, um, we we truly at the at the end of the day we love people. We are we want to be kind. We don't want to drag names through the mud, per se, unless it is justified. Um, you know, like with pedophilia and something like that. And just like we are being discerning and taking everything we hear with a grain of salt. Feel more than free to take what we're saying with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. We're, we're speaking on our own experiences and our own opinions. And it's it's important to discern that from what is actual true. That's that's what the whole point is that we're telling you is mm-hmm. we're, we're biased even in ourselves naturally. Mm-hmm. So take everything with a grain of salt. Do your own research and form your opinion for yourself. Yes. And I hope you didn't turn off this podcast in the middle 
of listening to it because, you know, here's the whole shebang of everything. They, you know, this, this podcast, you know, d- learning how to debate, you know, listening to people that you know, have a different political opinion than you, you know, that creates that creates new horizons that you've never, you know, experienced before that causes you to be a better person is opening up, you know, uh, getting outside of your bubble, you know, and and that causes, honestly, that's really good for your mind, you know, you will be happier, you know, if you know how to coexist with everybody, you know, absolutely. And even if you can't coexist with, you know, like, like, like your mean neighbor or something, learn how to tolerate people, just do your own thing, do your own research, you know, and, you know, we'll touch on this more, you know, we're running a little, a little low on time, so we'll wrap it up, and we'll see you on part two, because we have five more strategies to get to, so thank you. Thank you.